Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 413. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, as I mentioned earlier, and I am excited that you are here today for a few reasons. And the first reason is that I have a big announcement about the future, what I see as the future of how I'm going to help you in a more direct way. Now, don't worry, the podcast will still be here and I will still be doing a lot of amazing things, what I hope are amazing. But I have some big changes in what I do one-on-one with students. And if you didn't know, I do a lot of one-on-one coaching with students. And I've known for a long time that I wanted to change things for me personally because I want to be able to help more of you. And with that change is going to come how I work with you. Now, a lot of you are already signed up to work with me next year. Don't worry, that hasn't changed. If you've signed up already, I'm still gonna be here. Uh, But for a lot of you who maybe have looked into working one-on-one with me in the past and saw how expensive it was, and and I I know it's expensive. It's a a big investment for many of you. Uh, I hopefully am going to do something where it will put working with me in reach for a lot of you. And I'm going to be announcing what I'll be doing at the end. But today we're going to do lots of fun Q&A. And if you like this kind of Q&A, then you're going to like the things that I announce at the end of this episode. So stay tuned if you want to hear more. And let's go ahead and jump in. I'm going to be doing some live Instagram Q&A. So first question of the night on Instagram Live here. If you don't follow me on Instagram, and I'm saying this for the podcast recording, uh, if you don't follow me on Instagram, you should. It's too late for an Instagram live. No, it's not. Um, the first question here is, how does an applicant su- successfully portray their passion on an application pre-interview? So that's a good question because 
I think a lot of students try too hard to do this on an application. And what typically happens is it comes across that you're forcing this in an application. How you portray your passion is by the four years or however many years it takes you leading up to your application, or three years if you're a traditional student, leading up to your application, everything that you've done, that is your passion. You doing the things that you say you're passionate about. One of the biggest problems comes from students who say they're passionate and yet they don't show that they're passionate through their activities, through everything they have done. And so how do you show your passion? Well, you go out there and you live it. That's how you do it. And then you reflect on that journey in your application. You talk about how each of those things have affected you as a person, not necessarily how they have affected you as a future physician. A lot of people think that the whole application is dedicated to showing why future physician, right? I had a question today from a student who asked, well, do I put the time that I worked at a bakery a long time ago as just a a job? It has nothing to do about medicine. I'm like, yes, you put that on your application, assuming you have room for it, because you working in a retail shop can show me a lot of things. It can show me communication skills, potentially leadership skills. If you were kind of a shift leader, uh, it shows me some organizational skills potentially. So um, don't be afraid of putting lots of stuff on your application. So good early question there. Another question here, what advice do I have for Casper? So the pre-med years, episode 303, so premedyears.com slash 303 is an interview that I did with the founder of Casper, one of the co-creators of Casper. I would go listen to that. Now, a few things have changed a little bit, right? They're starting to send out score sheets, which I wasn't aware of. I haven't um, stayed in touch with uh, Dr. Kelly Dore, who's one of the co-founders. I had her on National Pre-Med Day a few months ago. Um Hello, Kelsey. I <laughs> used the wrong instant. Dr. Gray is a huge reason why I'm succeeding in medical school right now. Just coming to say hi. Hello, Kelsey. Um, so Casper is situational judgment test, right? The AMC is testing the SJT at a few schools this year because they saw that that uh, Altius assessments, Altius assessments, was making money uh, with the Casper and helping schools, right? Ultimately, it's helping schools predict who's going to be well uh, in, who's going to do good in medical school. They're looking at qualities of a medical student outside of um, uh, MCAT score, GPA, et cetera. So that's what the Casper is good for. And the WMC is doing their situational judgment test as well. So, in my mind, I don't think you have to prepare for the Casper. I think you, <laughs> nothing bunt cakes. There you go. Um, I think you need to, for the Casper, you need to understand the process. So go to takecasper.com and, and take their practice test. It's the same setup that you're going to see in the future. And then ultimately what you're going to do is you're going to really just 
Type fast and think out loud when you're typing your answers, really showing your work. Remember back in those math days where you may get the answer right, but if you didn't show your work, you wouldn't get the, you wouldn't get all of the points. That's what the Casper is. And so they really wanted to understand your thought process behind what you are going to do. So I don't think you have to worry about it too much. Just understand the process and you will be okay. Oh, all right. Let's see. What do medical schools think about classes with W's that have letter grade that have later been taken again and gotten good grades on a W? I think too many students worry about W's unless you have a pattern of withdrawals where you are taking a course, withdrawing, taking it again, doing well, taking a course, withdrawing, taking again, withdrawing, taking a course, withdrawing, go to community college with uh, and doing well. Right. Unless you have some weird pattern like that, having a few W's is fine something that a lot of students worry about. Is it too late to apply to DO? So some context, if you're listening to this later, is it is October 20th, 2020. Uh, this year is completely whack, right? 2020 has been a pain in everyone's rear end. I, I would say go ahead and try it. The, the one nice thing about the DO application is the verification process is a lot faster. So you can go ahead and... Uh, submit your application and be verified very quickly. So I would go ahead and try that. Um, all right, some more questions here. Should I apply, quote, early, even though my app feels weaker as sort of a, quote, practice run to learn the process better? Or wait, no, do not do, not do anything around the application as, quote, a practice run. I, I've never understood this with the MCAT. Students do this with the MCAT, too. They go, I'm going to pay for the MCAT. I'm going to sign up just to see what it's like. Like, don't do that. That's a waste of a lot of money and a lot of stress for nothing. You can you can register. You can go create an account at the AAMC right now. You can go register for an account on uh, a Comus, TMDSAS. You can go register an account and play with it without submitting an application and paying for it. So go do that. That's what I would recommend. Do you think the MCAT might change after this year? No, I don't. I think the AAMC is digging their feet in, digging, digging their heels in, uh, and I don't think they're going to do much um, with that. Um, is retaking classes after undergrad all right if your GPA isn't as high as you want to be? Yeah, that's perfectly normal. It's called a post-bac. So your undergrad is your baccalaureate degree, and... Um, you once you graduate, you have your baccalaureate degree, then you are doing what is known as a post back and completely normal and uh, working well. Kelsey says, use mapped as your trial run. So wish I would have had it, peeps. Uh, thank you, Kelsey. Yeah, we're and actually, Kelsey, you say that, but we're actually um, adding in, right? It's not there now, but we're adding into mapped, which if you don't know what mapped is, M A P P D dot com. Uh, is the technology platform that I have co-founded to basically help pre-med students track everything, get feedback on everything. Uh, we're actually in the middle of building all of the feedback uh, right now. So that's exciting. But we're actually building in um, basically an application into MAP so that students kind of understand what's coming and, and everything else. All right. How... Add residencies. Yes, we will. Uh, Kelsey, that's the plan, right? As soon as we tackle 
the pre-med stuff, uh, we are going to expand out to all pre-health and then we're going to uh, move forward into uh, helping medical students track all of their stuff too. Because if you didn't know, guess what? There's still there's still more to do once you're in medical school. You still shadow, you still, um, you still get a clinical experience, you still get uh, shadow, shadowing, uh, research experience. You're, you're still out there evaluating, volunteering, doing all that kind of fun stuff for your residency applications. And usually it's a little bit more focused for the type of residencies that you want once you figure that out. So yes, mapped, mapped will be coming to medical students as well in the future. All right. How bad does it look on AMCAS? My title of activity, my title of activity is quote research assistant instead of assistant research. Oh, <laughs> typo. That's fine. Uh, typos happen. Uh, obviously you don't want them. Um, and no matter how many times you look at an application, they, they always pop up after you click submit. Don't worry about it. Uh, assuming it's only that one. You can submit an application on AMC for free. No, you cannot submit an application. I said you can go play with the application for free. So don't submit it, but you can go and fill out everything without submitting it for free. That's what I said. Do not submit. Do not submit. Would it be wise to apply to medical school with virtual shadowing only? I wouldn't recommend it. And a lot of students will be doing that. The biggest question that's going to come up is, why did you wait so long to get shadowing if you knew that you wanted to be a physician? Why did you wait so long? A lot of students do this whole thing backwards as uh, in, in my mind. What I would recommend doing is as soon as you think you want to be a physician, you should go out and shadow to see if you want to be a physician. Go out and get clinical experience. Put yourself around patients to see if you like being around patients. A lot of students go, I'm going to go take organic chemistry to see if I want to be a physician, right? Students start with classes, right? And, and I understand it because they're, they're thinking, am I smart enough to be a physician? That's how they test the waters instead of testing the waters to see if they really want to be a physician. So I, I understand the backwards thinking. I just think it's backwards. Um, so is it wise? Probably not wise. Are a lot of people going to be doing, doing it? Yes. I would look at potentially other things like scribing, right? Go and be a scribe. You can get a job. You can do it during COVID assuming, right? Assuming there's an asterisk on this, assuming that you are healthy enough to go out and you are okay with the risk of going out and being in a hospital, being in a clinical setting to, um, to do that. Uh, or you lived, you live with people and are exposed to other people who are okay with those risks. I would go and try to get a clinical experience job because a lot of the volunteering stuff is just, it's done for now with COVID. Um, I would go try to get a job to get clinical experience. And scribing is a great one because scribing is basically shadowing with work attached to it. So try that out. Uh, if you didn't know, eshadowing.com is, uh, e is my shadowing, kind of online shadowing platform. We do live uh, shadowing every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And shadowing really is, it's, it's not like 
literal shadowing, unfortunately, right? With HIPAA and everything else, it would be too much of a pain to get a camera crew into someone's clinic and be over the shoulder and, and watching uh, watching a physician actually do an exam and do all of that fun stuff. So really it's, it's presentations with the, the physicians talking about their specialties, very similar to my specialty stories podcast, but it's live. And the, the fun thing that students love is the cases. And so, uh, I'm realizing that more and more, and I'll lean on the, the physicians for each shadowing to do more and more cases. And if you are a pre PA student, or if you're undecided about PA versus medical school, um, now that I have the platform in place, we will be doing PA shadowing, uh, PAE shadowing as well. So check that out. Whew. All right, let's keep rocking and rolling. Um, is becoming a medical scribe during COVID-19 pandemic highly valued for medical schools? So very similar to kind of what I was talking about just a minute ago with virtual shadowing during this time, scribing is a great job. The, the, the asterisk to that question that I want to put or the answer is don't do things just because you think they're going to look good on the application. If you are interested in scribing and you want to do it, scribing is not easy. Go ask, go ask any scribe. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of work. You have to understand medical terminology. You have to understand what the physicians are up to. You have to be prepared to uh, talk about or think about what's coming and, and be prepared to to work through that with the with the patient chart. So keep uh, if if you want to scribe, do that. What happened to interview prep podcast? That's a good question, Doctor Abba. Um, I have some more episodes. We just haven't released them, and and just with COVID nineteen, just things got super busy. Um, I'll try to I'll try to prioritize that uh, with along with everything else. Um, what is the ideal amount of different specialties to shadow before feeling like you have a good grasp of medicine? That's going to vary. A lot of students only have access to one type of physician, so I wouldn't worry too much about different specialties. I know there are pre-health advisors out there that recommend a certain amount of hours with subspecial subspecialists, a certain amount of hours with primary care doctors, I wouldn't go that in depth. It's uh, most people can only get access to one. So I wouldn't worry about it. Is being a pharmacy tech a good way to become familiar with the health field? Will it look good on applications? So this is an interesting one. A lot of students become pharmacy techs because it's a job and it's available. I don't like it. In my mind, being a pharmacy tech is a retail job. It is not a clinical experience. And yes, you are in and around medicine. You're you're interacting with the pharmacist. Sometimes you're calling the doctor's office to clarify something. All right, the, the doctor scribbles the prescription on a pad if it's still a paper uh, a, a paper prescription, and you need to call and verify and, and figure it out. You're, you technically are interacting with patients uh, or the patient's family to to actually hand out the prescriptions, right? The general, do you have any questions for the pharmacist, right? It's, it's not clinical experience in my mind. Go ahead and put it on there. I don't think it's good experience. So you can put it on there though. Ooh, what should my goal be for the MCAT? 528, that should be everyone's goal everyone's goal 
obviously you want as high as you as high as you can. Um, how many hours of shadowing are ideal? I don't like giving hours. Shadowing, a lot of people overvalue shadowing and undervalue clinical experience. Uh, shadowing is great, but it's super boring because it's a very passive experience. And trust me, I, I remember shadowing doctors. It was amazing, right? The first time you're in a, in a clinical setting in a hospital, you're just like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, but after a while, it gets super boring. So uh, 40, 50 hours consistently over time, I think is usually okay. All right. What is, let's see. Do you think the future application process take into account COVID in regards to shadowing? Yeah. So COVID is going to be a part of the application process for years to come, right? Think about the non-traditional students, the freshmen uh, in college right now, a lot of people who are still years out from applying to medical school. They're going to have these weird gaps in their application because of, of uh, 2020, because of COVID uh, and 2020. Uh, so, it, it's just going to be a part of the process, right? You're going to have schools that are going to have to have some flexibility in hours, potentially some flexibility in online courses, some flexibility in pass-fail. All that stuff is going to be there for years to come until we have everyone who is living through this right now who is done applying to medical school. So... Don't worry about the future with COVID. What would you consider a good clinical job? So interesting question. So a lot of students are really kind of confused about what at least I consider clinical experience. And I take and I, I take my definition of clinical experience from a director. He wasn't a director. Um, he was just an admissions committee member, just uh, an admissions committee member at Hopkins. And I saw him when I first started doing all this back in 2013, I went to a conference and he talked about if you are close enough to smell the patients, that is clinical experience. Now, I always have to add a caveat to that, right? Because it, it has to be in a little bit of a clinical context. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be in a clinical setting, right? Hospice, a lot of times if you're doing home hospice, is not in a true clinical setting. Um, so it doesn't have to be in a true clinical setting, but it has to be somewhat clinically related. And that's why pharmacy tech, it's a retail job. You are in a retail position. Things like being a, an admin in the emergency department. I, I got into an argument with a student who who said being the admin, the registration clerk or whatever they're called in the ER that's clinical experience because they're going into the patient's room. They're interacting with the patient. And I was like, no, that's that's an admin job. All right. It's obviously needed, but it's an admin job. It's no different than sitting at the desk at a doctor's office checking patients in. That's an admin job. That's not clinical experience. So EMT, phlebotomy, um, uh, child life, um, patient transport is a little bit iffy. Some schools don't like it. I think it's fine. Um being an ER volunteer, but where you're not just cleaning rooms and changing sheets and stocking shelves, but actually interacting with patients. Just think about it, right? So a lot of people will come to me and go, this is my job. 
title, is it clinical experience? This is where I work, is it clinical experience? And my, my answer always is, what do you do? So take my definition of, are you close enough to smell the patient, right? Are you interacting with those patients? And that will help define pharmace- pharmaceutical sales, a thousand percent not clinical experience, right? You're interacting with doctors. That's not, so again, clinical experience is not being in a hospital. I had a student try to pass being an environmental specialist, right? A janitor in a hospital. He's like, oh, that's clinical experience. I'm in the hospital. No, no, it's not. Don't do that. Don't be that way. Virtual scribe thoughts. Right now, virtual scribing, I would say a thousand percent is clinical. It's scribing in the in the COVID world. Um, all right, probably not the best, but it it is what it is at this point. So I, I would definitely, if you can't get something else, um, I would love to to have you put in clinical or virtual scribing. Oh man. All right. What is my biggest advice for Canadians applying to U.S. medical school? Uh, my question would be, why are you crazy enough to come to our crazy country right now? <laughs> Stay up north. Um, no, I, I think it's interesting. So I, I think you have to do a lot of research and, and find out what medical schools are actually Canadian friendly. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, once you figure that out, then you look into what are some potential ties you may have? So I had a student who lived in Canada, but she had an uncle who lived in Kentucky and she was in Kentucky every summer and she applied to University of Kentucky Medical School and she got an interview there, right? A a public school in the US for a Canadian applicant. Most people would think that's crazy, but she had strong ties to the state and was a good enough applicant. So just look into that, I think is really the biggest thing. All right. I love my country, don't worry. Um, Is it fine if the clinical experience is not paid? Yeah, so this is a big kind of misconception around what is clinical experience. I think students think you have to, or, or, or clinical experience is more valuable if it's volunteer versus paid. Clinical experience is clinical experience, whether it's paid or volunteer. One is not better than the other. There are um, uh, there are some medical schools that that value volunteering. Now, not clinical volunteering, just volunteering in general, right? Habitat for Humanity, Soup Kitchen, etc. So, clinical experience doesn't have to be paid. Thousand percent. Didn't my wifey go to a Can- to Canada for school? She did. She went to McGill for undergrad. Good memory, Kelsey. How important is publication for research? It's not. Research really isn't that important. A lot of, again, a lot of people think um, uh, research is the end-all, be-all. It's overrated in my mind. Being published is more important for residencies than it is for medical school. Look, the, the the publication game is just that. It's a game. You, you have to be timed just right being involved in a research project. The, the research has to go the right way. You have to obviously write up that research into an article or an abstract and, and submit it and hope that it passes muster. 
there's a lot to get published. It's it's more of the research of what you did, what you learned from it that is important and not necessarily just having that publication. All right. Uh, is pass in a class bad for an application? Uh, it's better than a fail. I'll tell you that. How do I become super competitive for private medical schools if I don't have a green card? Not international student either. I don't know the end of that. Yeah. Um, if you don't have a green card and you're not an international student either, I don't know what you are. Um, are you a human being? Because you either are international or you're a resident. So I'm confused. I'll move on. Uh, what should I do about internships? Both of mine were canceled. You make the best of, right? Make some, make some lemonade. Uh, try to figure something out. Do something else. You'll you'll figure it out. Um, obviously, everyone is going through the same thing. So the worst thing that you can do right now, I think, is do nothing. Um, a lot of people are doing nothing right now. They're they're moping, saying, "Oh, everything, um, everything was canceled," and and boohoo, pity me, right? But everyone's was canceled and everyone isn't just sitting around doing nothing. So make the best of it, right? Go, go and find something else that's in a virtual setting, uh, hit the phones, emails, and find something that will work for you. Ooh, let's see. How can applicants increase their chances of getting pulled off waitlist? So I actually did a podcast episode um, a while ago about wait lists, kind of how it works and potentially what you should do. Um, so check that out. Um, the other student may be undocumented or DACA. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that, right? So I had a DACA student on the podcast recently um, who, was, who was a DACA student, a DACA recipient, and is in medical school or was accepted to medical school. Um, and so if, if you're an undocumented uh, 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 immigrant in this country, if you're a DACA recipient, hopefully you're DACA, right? Because a lot of medical schools kind of consider DACA as an international-ish kind of student. Go listen to that episode I did with the DACA student. Um, she talked about her journey and, and what that looked like. And she was a little bit different because she was um, from India. She, I'm, I'm pretty sure India. And not what I think a lot of people think about when they, they hear DACA. They think about uh, either Mexico or South America or something like that. Um, but she was an, uh, an immigrant from India as a DACA recipient and got into medical school. So it's, it's hard. If, if you're undocumented, it really depends on the schools. All right. Good questions tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you're interested, if you're watching this live, this will be going out as a podcast episode tomorrow. This is the pre-mid years episode 413. And I'll be announcing something at the end of the episode. I won't be announcing it here on Instagram. So go check that out. Be announcing something special. Why is the AMC doing full length for the MCAT 2021? The pandemic is still going on because the AAMC is full of beep. Um, double AMC is miserable. They're, they're obviously run by uh, people who don't care about you, the student. Um, they pretend that they care about you, but they don't. So 
I, I don't have anything else to say about the WMC at this point. So hopefully they'll have some new leadership soon. We will find out. But I don't want to say too much. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> um, all right. How much shadowing do I need if I have a solid clinical job? Good question. So a lot of people will either, they'll, they'll think that they don't need shadowing because they're a nurse or they don't need shadowing because they have a clinical experience. Um, shadowing needs to be there kind of standing on its own. A again, 40, 50 hours, you're usually okay. Kelsey, I can't talk crap about the WMC anymore, so I will let Dr. Gray do it for me. Uh, Kelsey, you can uh, definitely talk crap about the WMC. You're in medical school now. You, you will be okay. All right. Uh, here's a good kind of nuts and bolts question. Does computer science count as my science GPA boost for postbacs in schools like Carl are looking for CS backgrounds? Uh, so Carl, Illinois College of Medicine, if you're not aware, is an engineering-based medical school in Illinois. Uh, pretty interesting school. Go check it out. I've had them on the podcast a few times, the, the pre-mid years podcast. Um, you need to look at, if you just Google AAMC course classification or ACOMIS or AMCAS course classification, ACOMIS course classification, TMDSAS course classification, and just look at, at how those work. Uh, usually those are not uh, considered science courses. All right. Let's go to goal GPA. So I like these questions. Goal GPA, goal MCAT score, right? As high as possible. That's everyone is going to have I had NYU on the podcast. So me and Dean Rivera, the uh, director of admissions at NYU, are uh, we're tight. He's been on the podcast three or four times. So yes, go check it out. Uh, so goal GPA, goal MCAT score, right? As high as possible. Uh, everyone is going to have a different story. And so this is where I want you to separate yourself from everyone else. I want you to understand that your target GPA is going to be different based on where you're starting from, right? So if, if you started off poorly in undergrad, your goal GPA is going to be much lower than someone who's been getting 4.0s freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, et cetera. And so what I want you to think about, if especially if you've started off poorly, which a lot of students who are asking, what is my goal GPA? Usually that's because you're trying to build up from something. Uh, I want you to think more about your trend and I want you to have as high of a trend as possible, meaning two semesters, three semesters, four semesters, five semesters, as high to a four, as high or as close to a 4.0 as possible. So that means your final GPA may only be a 3.2 if you started off very poorly, but that trend shows that you've turned it around. And this happens all the time with the transition from, from high school to college, the transition from the, uh, a career uh, as a non-traditional student into college for the first time as a uh, as a student who has suffered trauma as a freshman, sophomore, and ha is trying to, to pull themselves up, it happens all the time. So don't worry about the final number, especially if you are working from a low GPA. A lot of these questions, actually, I, I want to give a plug for Mapped, uh, not the, the technology platform that I've co-developed or co-founded, 
but one of the podcasts and YouTube series that we do on Mapped is called Ask the Dean. And it's myself and Rachel Grubbs, who's my co-founder of Mapped, and Dr. Scott Wright, who is the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, former executive director of TMDSAS. We talk about a lot of this stuff, right? And it's it's my point of view and it is uh, Dr. Scott Wright's point of view as well, right? And he's he's truly the expert. He, as the executive director of TMDSAS, he oversaw the whole application service to medical school in Texas. And so he was plugged in with all the medical schools there and then being the former director of admissions at one of the medical schools, he knows it all. So go listen to that podcast called Ask the Dean. All right, Kelsey, 2012 me, GPA 1.5, went back and got a 4.0 science GPA and a 516 MCAT score. Keep going, y'all. You got this. Kelsey, thanks for hanging out with me. You're like my little cheerleader. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, let's do one more question here. We'll end with one of my favorite topics, Caribbean medical schools. Um, I actually just reached out to a student on Twitter. He posted... Uh, he applied to U.S. schools, I think, three times and rejected three times and is now like top 5% of his class or something at St. George's, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I'll have him on the Pre-Med Years podcast soon. So the Caribbean medical school, my, my take on Caribbean medical schools is you should not go to a Caribbean medical school until you have to go to a Caribbean medical school. Let me explain what that means. Caribbean medical schools or any international medical schools, Australia, Scotland, Ireland, Israel, wherever there are medical schools that market to U.S. students or or Canadian students as well, um, but specifically for U.S. students, any of those schools, you are considered an international medical graduate, assuming you go and you graduate. The one misconception about international schools, especially Caribbean schools, is that they are easier than U.S. medical schools. And a lot of students think it's going to be a vacation. I get to go hang out on an island for two years. It's not easier. It's harder. You have to work harder. You have to do better than if you were at a U.S. school. Because as an international medical graduate, you are considered less than the U.S. graduates, unfortunately. And with that, there's something else that is changing in the next couple of years, and that is USMLE step one is going pass-fail, which I think all of the steps should be pass-fail. Uh, but step one for now is going pass-fail. Step one has been a big chance for international medical graduates to prove themselves and to stand out. That is going away. Now, we don't know if step two CK will replace that. We don't know yet. Caribbean medical schools are good for students who have horrible GPAs, have really good trends, but their GPA is just too low because they had to overcome too much from a class standpoint that they likely will never get into a U.S. medical school because their GPA is just too low. But they've proven to themselves that they can do well in school. Uh, I just got accepted to UF Med. Go Gators. Yes, go Gators. Great job. Um, if 
you have proven that you can do well in classes now, but you struggled a ton early on and your grades will never get up to a, 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 um, an acceptable range for medical schools, then a Caribbean medical school is right for you. If you have great grades, but for some reason the MCAT does not click with you, if you're an ESL student, if you just can't figure out the MCAT, the Caribbean might be right for you or any international medical school. They are usually more flexible with the MCAT. Now, that still comes with some complications. You still need to do well in medical school. Again, you need to do better than your U.S. counterparts. You still need to do great on your board exams. And so it's not a walk in the park. You should not try to go to a Caribbean medical school your first time applying, even your second time applying. But if you get to a point where you're done applying to U.S. medical schools from a monetary standpoint, you just can't afford it anymore. And, and, and trust me, like the, the whole application process, the MCAT process, all this stuff, super expensive, super ridiculous. I, I think one thing that the AAMC should be doing moving forward is moving to a similar structure like TMDSA ha- TMDSAS has where it's a flat fee for every school. Enough of this charging $40 per school crap um they need to charge 200 bucks and and students can submit to 20 schools or whatever it is right and then if you want to add more schools than 20 they should do that but applying to medical school is ridiculous uh cost wise and so if you need to go to um to the caribbean because you you have literally run out of money you can't afford another application cycle etc then then that's what you should be doing with that Thank you all for being here. Again, this is the pre-med years, episode 413. If you don't subscribe to my podcast, what the heck are you waiting for? Premedyears.com. As soon as I end this, I'm going to record the ending to the podcast episode where I'll be announcing some big changes coming to what I do with students day in and day out. And, And part of it is monetary related because I know that there are lots of you who want to work one on one with me and it's just too expensive. And part of that is because I have very limited time, but I'm going to change things up moving forward so that more people can work with me. And it still may be too expensive for a lot of you, which is why I do so many free things as well. So thank you all for hanging out with me tonight. I I love you all and I hope you're doing great. And please let me know when you get into medical school so that uh, I can say woohoo with you. Have a great night, everyone. All right, now that Q&A is over, let's chat about some big changes that are coming to the medical school headquarters in terms of my working with students. Now, right now, the the way to work with me is mostly in a high investment one-on-one way. You're either working with me through the entire application, uh, you are working with me one-on-one for mock interviews. You are working with me one-on-one, even if it's not kind of real-time-ish for personal statement editing, for secondary essay editing, extracurricular editing, all that stuff. And I've come to a point where I have figured out what I love to do the most, what kind of I don't like to do the most, uh, what I'm not the best at, and I want to focus on what I'm really good at, what I enjoy the most, and how I can help more of you at a lower price point. And so what I'll be doing moving forward is I'm going to be cutting out 
most, if not all, and there's an asterisk to this, um, as I as I figure out how many of you want to do this, and I will be limiting it at some point, but I, I need to make sure enough of you are doing this so that I can still keep my lights on and, and pay my team to do all the podcast editing and all that fun stuff. But I'm going to switch more to a group coaching model to where we're hosting office hours probably two to three hours a week, um, probably over a couple days, so that if you're not there one day, you can catch me another day live. Um, those office hours will be recorded. They'll be released as a private podcast so that if you love listening to podcasts, you can catch all of those Q&As as well. You can submit your questions. If, if you know you can't make it live, you can submit your questions and get your question answered on the podcast. I'll be answering all questions that come. Um, and one of the things that we'll be doing is this is restricted to students who are going to be applying in 2021. And so the goal with that is that I want to kind of go through a process with everyone working through personal statements, working through activities. I'll be doing presentations on the personal statement, presentations on extracurricular activity writing, presentations on interview prep, presentations on picking schools. And so it's not just you coming to office hours, but it's also sitting and learning, doing these presentations, watching the recordings if you can't make it live to those, uh, having some homework, being held accountable. That's one of the biggest things that I have found through this process that students are using me for is more of that accountability. And now you're going to have a whole cohort of students who are going through this process with you. Those that you know, who you know, are getting the same information as you are from me through the presentations, through the Q&A, so that you can all help each other with personal statements, with extracurricular activities. We'll have a private Facebook group that you can all hang out in. I, I want to make this the best group ever. Uh, everyone will get access to our Anytime Mock Interview platform. Everyone will get a year access to Mapped, so you can track everything if you don't have access to it now. Um, and, and I'll probably give more stuff too. Uh, I think... Uh, I'll be able to give out a text message platform so that we could text throughout the day. I can send you messages throughout the day. Um, just, I want to make this the best possible thing at a much lower investment. Now, my my normal rate, if you go to my website right now, it's $375 for a 45-minute call. That is a lot of money. I understand that. If you, if you average it out to an hour, right, because that's how most people think of things, an hour, it's $500 an hour. It's $375 for 45 minutes, but that's the same as $500 an hour. And I'm going to make this a nine-month program for $500 total. And so we'll have all the office hours, all the presentations, access to MAPT, access to the Anytime Mock Interview platform. Um, this will be the best way, right? So many students ask me, can you review my application? Well, now I can, right? Join join this thing. And I don't even have a name for it yet, just my group coaching. Um, join that and we'll be able to review applications. We'll be able to do um, review personal statements. We'll be able to do some live mock interviews with everyone. Now, this is not a one-on-one -on -one experience. This is a one-to-many experience. So if you're looking for one-on-one -on -one personal statement help, one-on-one -on -one mock interview help, 
this is not the program for you. The services at MAPT, so if you go to mapt.com, M-A-P-P-D.com, we'll still offer the one-on-one stuff over there. And it's Dr. Scott Wright, as of right now, who is doing all of that. He is the former, former executive director of TMDSAS, the former uh, director of admissions at UT Southwestern. He's doing the one-on-one stuff right now. And as we grow, we'll build our team of more amazing advisors there. This is a one-to-many that a lot more of you will be able to uh, afford the investment. It'll be $500 for nine months or four payments of $125. Go to medicalschoolhq.net and click on services and I will have a page there ASAP. Uh, Hopefully it's up as you're listening to this. Um, Again, this will be a limited number of spots. I don't know how limited at this point, Um, but go there, sign up, and we will start very likely in January, if not before then, uh, to get started. If you have any questions, email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.